sometimes when you have the privilege of bringing God's Word, the only thing you know to do is just, hey, this is where I am, and this is what God's dealing with me about, and this is what God is saying I have to do better, and I hope that I'm not alone. So maybe uh, you find yourself in a similar spot. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28, and then we're going to spend significant time in John chapter 4. So if you want to kind of mark both those, Matthew 28 and John chapter 4, um, we're studying John 4 uh, right now in our Sunday school class. And so, um, man, class has given me all kinds. This may be a three-hour sermon. Uh, you can thank my Sunday school, okay? Uh, no, we're going to try to be respectful of your time, but I think there's some great truth that we can dig into here. So Matthew 28, uh, we're going to start at 18 through 20. And then we're going to flip it over to John chapter 4. I love hearing those pages turn, so I'm going to give you a few more moments to get there to Matthew 28. Uh, and then we'll read the Word of God together. All right. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. And I thank you for the ability to dig into the heart, into the mind of Christ through the Holy Scriptures. Lord, I pray that we won't take that for granted. I pray that we will be in your word, God, that we will hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, Lord, that we will be bearers of truth everywhere we go and everything that we do, Lord. I pray that as we are going, that we will make disciples, God, that we will not just make converts, but that we will make disciples, God. Give us a heart for lost souls. Give us a heart, Lord, for Christians who are looking to gain a foothold and a knowledge of your truth and, and, and to go deeper with you so that they can make an impact for you, God. Give us a heart uh, for those around us, God, who may be in a similar spot as us or may be in a completely different spot. Lord, I pray that we will stop simply focusing on ourselves and, God, that we will take your truth to the highways and the byways and that we will make a difference in our community for you. We love you, Jesus, in your precious and holy name. Amen. So we know we, we end every Sunday with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All right, so you guys should be, uh, if, if you have been with us much lately, you should be very familiar with this passage. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Okay, I know, I know Daniel has done a great job of, of pouring this truth into our life week after week after week, and he's preached on it, and he's taught it, and you guys know it. I feel confident. That you know that as we're going, we're supposed to be uh, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that sometimes we leave off. We're also supposed to be teaching them to observe the commands and all things uh, that God has commanded us. And we sometimes stop. Sometimes we're happy uh, um, with just getting someone converted, just getting someone to 
think the way we do or believe the way we do. And okay, they prayed a prayer. They got dunked in the baptistry. Our work here is done. And that's not what the Great Commission is. It doesn't say go out and make converts and then leave them on their own. It says go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I think that's important. And uh, I, I just want I want to drive that point home. But then I also want to look at what does this look like in our everyday life? Because if you're like me, like I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a big picture guy. Like I have great swelling visions of what I want to see happen, um, but I, I often have no plan on how to actually make it happen. I know that's the end game. I know that's the goal, but how do I get there? And so we're going to look in John chapter 4. We're going to see two instances in John chapter 4 of how this verse can be played out in our lives. The first one um, is Jesus. How did Jesus do this? I feel like that's a pretty good example for us, right? I mean, I, we, all, we all should strive to be kind of like that guy. He's pretty good at what he does. All right? And then we're going to look at one that I personally can relate to better than Jesus. Okay, not that I want to be more like her than Jesus, but I can relate more to her than I can to Jesus because Jesus is a, a pretty, um, pretty esteemed goal. Okay, so maybe you feel like you can't get that one done. So we're going to look, and we're going to do, we're just going to kind of break down the first 26 verses or, 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 or so in what I like to call story time. All right, so we're just going to kind of, we're going to glance over it. There's a lot of good truth there. There's a lot of things that I personally, if I read through this, I'm going to get distracted, and I'm going to say, oh, yeah, let's talk about those. Let's talk about and then we, we really uh, will be here for a long time. So we're going to kind of just give you the, uh, uh, the short version. Y'all okay with that? Now, look, when I give you the short version or the long version, what I want you to do is go back and read it in your Bible and get the whole version because that's the good version, okay? But I'm just trying to lay a background. So here it is. Uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling from Judea, okay, to Galilee. Mo is awesome at breaking this all down and telling you, you know, that's 14.7 kilometers. I don't know how far it is, okay? He's really good at all that. I don't know a whole lot, but just because I love Mo and I want to be like that guy, I did look it up on a map, and I know that uh, Judea is in the south and Galilee is in the north, and Samaria, particularly the town of Sychar, is kind of in the middle. Okay? So he's, they're traveling from south to north. They stopped in the middle. Uh, it's about six days' journey. And Samaria, uh, Sychar, is about three days into that journey. Okay? So they've been walking a long ways. Okay? They've been walking a long ways. Um, and the disciples go into town to get food. Jesus sits down at Jacob's well, and he's just kind of chilling and kicking it, okay? We don't really know what he's doing. Uh, I know that, you know, my kids probably have him envisioned sitting on the well, looking up into the clouds and singing or humming a spiritual song. I don't know. That's probably not what Jesus was doing. He was tired. He's been traveling for three days. He sits down at the well, and this woman comes up, and it's the sixth hour, and it depends you know, whether you're using Jewish time or Roman time. Uh, I'm probably saying that it was Jewish time, so it was probably around noon. It was the heat of the day, and uh, this woman comes up by herself. This is not the normal time to go to the well. Y'all know, y'all probably heard some of that. Okay, and this woman comes up, and Jesus says, hey, 
Samaritan woman, may I have a drink of water? And she was taken back. She's like, what, what? you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You don't like us. I'm a woman. You're a man. You, you don't think much of us. Uh, why are you asking me for a drink of water? This is weird. This is weird. And we don't know. You know, we read the Bible. I don't know how you read it, but like I, I read it, I kind of envision it like a movie. So maybe it's not always. I don't know if this woman was like, you're talking to me. Like, who are you? Why are you talking to me like that? Like, you're asking me? I, I don't know. Or if she was... Genuinely like, this is weird. This guy's talking to me. I, I don't know. Depends what day it is, how I see it happening in my head, okay? We don't have, we don't give us all the details. But we know she's surprised. And then Jesus goes on to say, look, if you knew who asked you for water, you would ask me for water, and I would give you water so you didn't have to come back here. And she's like, now you have my attention. I'm interested. Because I don't like coming here in the heat of the day by myself to get water. And she's a little bit confused, and, and, and uh, she does say, like, are you greater than Jacob? Because you don't even have a pot to draw any water out, so how are you going to give me water? And then, you know, he just begins to reveal some truth to her. And he says, um, go get your husband, because I have some good news to share with you. Go get your husband. And she says, well, I, I'm not married. So he maybe in her mind here lost some credibility as a prophet, okay? Oh, go get your husband. I'm not married. You're not much of a prophet. You didn't know I wasn't married. And he says, you've spoken true. You're not married. You've been married five times, and you're now living with a guy who's not your husband. Again, it's one of those aha moments. I got you. Something's different. I need to listen to this man. And so... But he doesn't say that in a judgmental way. Now listen, I think this is important. He's not saying, he's not condemning her. She doesn't feel that way at all. She's intrigued because how does he know that? And so she begins to do what we do often when we get uncomfortable. I don't know if you would be uncomfortable with Jesus telling you about your past and the parts that you'd rather him not know. I would be uncomfortable. And she gets uncomfortable and she begins to throw out questions. Oh, well, uh, Jews worship here, but we worship here. What? Uh, yeah. I'm... And he begins to put those thoughts behind. And then I love, I love, love, love the very end of this, this part. And that's one of, her, one of her questions, or one of her statements, again, a nervous statement, in my opinion. She says, well, I, I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain all this to us. He'll make it all make sense. Now, for, for some, some folks out there, this verse, they act like it's not in the Bible, but it's kind of in there, and it's kind of important. Verse 26, Jesus said, Oh, the Messiah? The person you're talking to is the Messiah. I'm him. I am Christ. I am God come in the flesh. Some people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. He never claimed to be. Listen, if... If Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not the Messiah, then he's a crazy man. And he can't be a good teacher and a crazy man, right? Some people say, well, I want to follow the teachings of Jesus, but, but, but Jesus wasn't God. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking down the street and someone comes up and says, I am God. I am out. I'm, I'm done. Like, whoa, okay. 
All right. But that's not, Jesus says, the person you're speaking to, he is the Messiah. I am the Messiah. That's significant. Jesus says, he is God come in the flesh. And praise God, he is. He is. Okay, so that's kind of the background. That's where we're at. And that's where we're going to pick it up. That's, that's the shortened version. You say, well, that's the short version. I hate to hear the long version. Well, trust me, you would hate to hear me tell the long version. Um, so we're going to pick it up in verses 27. And we're going to kind of read some. And we're going to skip a little bit, not because it's not important, but just because uh, the direction that we're going, we're going to save a little bit of time. So let's start 27 through 30. It says, uh, while he is having this conversation with her, we're going to pick it up in 27. And upon this came the disciples, and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. Yet no one said, What seekest thou, or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot and went the way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I've ever done. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came unto him. Now let's skip down a few verses and let's hit 39 real fast. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all things that ever I did. Okay, so I told you we were going to have two examples. We have Jesus as he is traveling from Judea to Galilee, as he is literally as he is going, he makes a disciple right? And he tells her about himself and about how he can make her whole and how he can take her past, even though uh, many people have outcast her and judged her and condemned her, he could take her past and make it part of her story. Good truth there. So he, as he is going, is doing this. But I love this because she, as she is going, begins to do the same thing. She leaves her water pot. Okay, so this is important. She leaves her water pot, and she goes straight back to her city, and she begins to declare that she has met a man that has told her everything she's ever done. And I think the significance here is that what she thought was important, going to the well in the middle of the day to get water, uh, this is important, and it's important that I do it now because I don't want to be around all those people who judge me and who hate me and who think that I don't deserve uh, to be at the water well the same time as them. And she said, you know what, that, I can get that later. I can get that when everybody's here. I can get that when no one's here. I can get that in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter. That is not important right now. What is important is to tell people that I have met a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Well, let me tell you, church, I have met a man who's told me everything I've ever done. As a matter of fact, he's changed who I was. And maybe even greater still is he is still changing who I am to who he wants me to be. And it is my responsibility to forsake everything else that I thought was important to make this my top priority. Now, does that mean that I'm going to neglect my responsibility and duties that I have? No. But they become secondary to letting you know 
that I have met a man who's changed my life, and that man is Jesus Christ. Now, if y'all, I didn't get a whole lot of amens right there. I'm going to assume it's because you didn't know who I was before. Okay? But I'm telling you that I have met a man who's changed me, and it is because of the change in me that I feel an obligation to tell you and to tell those that I'm around that Jesus has changed me. And I love this idea because this woman went from being an outcast to being, you know, the truth bearer in her town. She went from being considered dirty, filthy, disgusting to being the one who had the truth and, and who had life and who was proclaiming the good news. It tells us that none of us None of these fine folks at Danville First Baptist Church this morning or listening to us uh, online or wherever, none of us have an excuse. Man, I think that God can use the vilest of sinners who is truly converted to do great, great things for Jesus Christ. And we all, I think, can get behind that. But you know what? Sometimes we neglect the fact that God can also use that kid that was raised in church and who's been taught right from, from the time they were knee-high to a grasshopper until now, they've been, they've, oh, their, their life has looked good. But in reality, those children, those adults still need Jesus and still have a testimony that God can use, right? Sometimes we look at, I think about a guy named Ronnie Johnson. Brother Ronnie um, is one of the greatest soul winners I've ever met in my life. Now, he was a, a former gangbanger, drug dealer, got a hole in his leg where he was going to shoot a guy and accidentally shot himself instead. And uh, he's got an unbelievable testimony. And, and Brother Ronnie is a, a, a real-life, modern-day, as-he-is-going soul winner. Like, he literally, I, I remember I went out to eat with him one time. We were at a fast food joint, and we're standing in line, we're talking. And I started looking around, I'm like, where's... Where's Brother Ronnie? And I look in the back in a booth. Brother Ronnie's got three teenage boys back there. Two of them are praying to receive Christ. And I'm like, Brother Ronnie, I'm just waiting for a cheeseburger, man. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get a cheeseburger too. Right after I pray with these guys. I'm like, wow, wow. I could go without a cheeseburger for many days. And probably survived just fine. But I was thinking about I was hungry. And I wasn't thinking about that guy is going to spend eternity somewhere. As he was going. And that's what we like to think about. Oh, these great evangelists, it's because they've, God has delivered. Listen. Praise God, my mom made sure that I was in church every Sunday as a child. But it doesn't change the fact that God has delivered me from lots of things. Now, I may not have shown it to the world. I may not have put it on display all the time. But I'm a vile, wretched sinner who needed Jesus just like the gangbanger. Just like the person who, who's done things that most of us couldn't believe. It doesn't matter. If Jesus has saved you, he has called you to go proclaim you don't have to have it all together. You can have somewhat together, but you don't have to have it all together. She didn't say, well, listen, 
Jesus, I would go and tell the people in my city, but you see, they don't think much of me, and it probably would just hurt. If I, if I told them, they probably wouldn't listen. She didn't say that. She immediately left her water pot and went and began to say, listen, y'all need to come meet this dude. He's different. He didn't judge me. He, he didn't condemn me. He offered me living water. He's given me hope for a better life. And she invited them to come. And you notice what happened? Then they went out of the city and came to him. I mean, you want to know why a lot of our friends and our coworkers, our classmates, you know why they don't come to Jesus? Never been invited. It's not because they're anti-Jesus. They don't know. Look, she went and invited them, and it's weird. They came. It's, it's almost like what most people want is to be invited, to be included, to be asked. Oh, you mean that the welcome sign out front isn't good enough? No, it's not. We need to be about the business. Let's, let's, let's move on just a little bit here. Pick it up in verse 40. So, so she went and invited them. They've come. Um, we're going to start there in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came unto him, they besought him that he would stay with them. And he did stay with them for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of you saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now look, this is the beauty of it. When we invite our friends, look, I'm, I'm pumped. I don't know if anybody else is pumped, but like our corner up here is more full than normal. I love, the, I love these guys that I'm fixing to see a whole lot of starting tomorrow. They're here this morning. I'm fired up they didn't take advantage, and I see more back there and over here. I, I, I see, I, I love that. They didn't say, you know what, oh, there's some in the back. I don't want to offend anybody, okay? Maybe some upstairs, okay. Yeah, Got to be careful. Can't offend people these days, okay? Uh, but one of the things that I'm excited about is they could have said, you know what, this is our last day of freedom. I'm going to sleep in, okay? They didn't. They're here. Some of them, maybe because their parents made them. Thank you. Thank you. Some of them because they, they wanted to be. Some because it was expected. I don't really care. I'm just glad they're here. Okay? But I love that we're fixing to send you guys into the school. And we're going to send many of the rest of you back into the workplace. And we're going to send you back into your homes. And all it takes is us being willing to say, man, this is what Jesus has done for me. She didn't have... She hadn't been to, theology, uh, to seminary, okay? I don't know if you know this, but there's not a... Sometimes we talk about, well, when you read in the Bible, it's like something happened. It feels like something happened immediately, but actually it took several months, days. You know, when we say he walked from, from Judea to Galilee, uh, that was a six-day walk. We just read it like, oh, okay, he walked across the street. Okay, this isn't one of those times. This doesn't mean she left her water pot, enrolled in seminary, learned how to tell people about Jesus, got a three-point model of evangelism, and then went back into the city and began to tell people about Jesus. None of that happened. She had literally, immediately, she left her water pot, she went back to the city and said, hey, 
I don't know what it all means, but I met a dude who just told me about my whole life, and I think he might be the Messiah. Why don't y'all come meet him? And we'll see what we all think together. And they went, and they began to hear him. And verse 40 is one of those verses that, man, I just... Let me double check and make sure I'm verse 40. I want to. All right. Verse 42. That's what I said. Verse 42 is one of those verses that, man, I just pray for my children. Man, I, I pray for my kids. Because in verse 42, it says, you know what? Woman at the well, I no longer believe in Jesus because you told me about him. But I believe in Jesus because I've heard him myself. Because I've met him myself. Because I've put my faith in him myself. If my kids have a relationship with Jesus through me, I failed them as their dad. I want them to have a relationship with Jesus that is their own, that is personal that drives everything they do. Now listen, the first step is to put it there, to introduce them. We have that obligation. But in the end, it is up to them to decide to follow him. And whether that be your children or your co-workers or your spouse, whatever it is, it is our duty, it is our obligation to proclaim truth and to introduce them through what we did. Now, we don't see the whole story, but I believe this woman's life was changed. And I think that's part of what gave her credibility. She didn't go right back to the life of sin and, and, and living like she always had. Yes, I met a man, and then I went right back to doing all the things I, I, I... There was change. But I love this idea that these men came and they met Jesus and they started their own and they said we no longer believe because of what you have told us but we have met him now this may cross the line from preaching to meddling and I'm okay with that but I think churches are full of folks who have a secondary relationship with Jesus Christ it's what my grandpa believed it's what my dad believed and it's what I believe but I, it's never changed my life but I know that's the answer or I started going to church because my wife wanted me to praise God for that wife but have you ever surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ have you ever met him for yourself because if not today's the day of salvation I shared a story, probably shared it here before too, but uh, I started filling in for a pastor at another church, and, and one of his congregants was a classmate of mine. And so every time I went to preach there and I saw this guy in the, in the crowd, and every week I'd be like, every time I'd go there, I'd tell Amanda, like, he's probably just sitting back there thinking, how is this guy? going to tell us about Jesus. Like, I know. I went to school with him. I, I, I was at some of the same places he was at. 
And I thought, he's not hearing a word I'm saying because he knows who I, who I was. And I never addressed it. I always spoke to him, hey, how you doing? It's so good to see you and your family. Um, well, over the course of time, he actually started coming to the church where I was on staff. And, and one Sunday night, he came to me after, after I preached, and he said, man, I need to talk to you. And we went to a back room, and he said, he said first off, I just want you to know that like, when you were coming to my old church or here, like, I was always distracted, and I was like, here it comes. But you know what he said? It wasn't because he knew who I used to be, but it was because he was thinking, Dusty's probably preaching right at me because he knows who I used to be. We were both having the same thoughts. We, Satan was distracting us both by making us think they were thinking one way about us, when really we were thinking that way about ourselves. That was kind of weird. But then he told me something that absolutely rocked my world. And he said, man, I came forward tonight because I need to be saved. I was like, awesome. He said, you know, when we had kids, we decided we need to raise our kids in church. Good teaching. Teach them to be moral people. They need that. They need moral, moral ground. He said, but tonight I realized that morality is not enough. And that just being here so that my kids get taught the things I was taught as a kid isn't enough. But I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And praise God for his vulnerability. Because you know what? He was a good church member. He was better once he got saved. We're all better church members once we get saved. That's just a little free advice. Um, but he, he could have kept serving in the church. He had roles that he fulfilled in the church. He could have kept doing all that for the rest of his life, and then he could have died at the end of that, and he could have went straight to hell. Because he'd been a good church member. He had a secondary relationship. His reasoning was good. I want my kids to be in church because there's value there. Well, that's good. But you know what's even better for your kids? Them seeing their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa truly sold out to following Jesus. And a matter of fact, I'm going to go a step further. Mm, this ain't in my notes. It makes me nervous. But I'll tell you the reason that it's really hard to reach a lot of our children right now. And that's because too often they see their parents go to church and they look right and they put on airs. But then when they go home, it's weird. There's somebody different. And our kids learn to pretend, okay, church is a game. It's pretend. When we go to church, we dress nice, we act nice, we say thee and thou, and we go home and we live exactly like everyone else on our block. And I believe church, and I love you, and I say this in love, and I say this cautiously because I can be guilty of that too. But we are doing our children a disservice, and we're giving them false hope. And we're raising a generation who are going to be running our churches who don't know Jesus, but they know how to play the game. And the world isn't interested in that. You know, you know who will continue to be in church? A lot, of these church a lot of these kids I'm talking about will continue to go to church because it's expected of them. 
But you're never going to get a non-church kid to come in and play the game. They're not going to. They don't find any interest in it. They don't find it important. But you know the way to get those kids in is by us and our kids being real. And they say, man, I know who this person was, but I know who they are now. And I hear what they're proclaiming, and I want to see if there's any truth to it. That's the part that, where it goes from, we no longer believe because of what you said, but we believe because we've met him ourselves. It's because they see that it's different. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. And if we want to impact our school and we want to impact our jobs and we want to impact our homes, then we have to quit coming to church. Now, don't, don't turn it off there, okay? I hope the Internet doesn't pause here. we got to quit going to church, but then living totally different the rest of the week. And we know that, but have we thought about it in those terms of what it is doing to our children? To the picture of Jesus that they have that says, Jesus can save me and I can be godly for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes if Dusty is preaching, every week. And the rest of the week, I'll do whatever I want to do. And they eventually come to a place where that no longer is a draw. They need to see us live it out. We need to introduce them to the real picture of who Jesus is. Because only through that are they going to come to a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, I thought I lost you for a minute there. Let's close, let's close up with John 4, 34 through 38. Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is what drives us. Verse 35, Say ye not that there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receiveth wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal. And both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is this saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that where, you have st- uh, where you've not war- labored, and other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. Okay? So here's, here's what I want to close with. Stop saying there are four months to the harvest. The harvest is ready. Listen, young folks, all over the room, don't say that when, when I get out of high school, I'm going to start taking my walk with Jesus seriously. Or when I get out of college, or when I get my degree, or when I get to retire, or when I get to... Stop saying that when I get my life right, I'm going to make something for Jesus. Because if you wait until you get your life right, you're always going to be waiting. There's always something else. My, my, my mom jokes with me now. It used to not be a joke, but now it's kind of a joke because I always say, you know what? Once basketball season's over, life will slow down and we'll do this. And then I'm like, well, once the summer comes, life will slow down and I'll, 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 I'll do this. And, and then, well, okay, well, the summer's been crazy. We had the kids. We were trying to do some fun stuff. But when school starts, but before basketball, then, then things will be a little bit slower and I'll have time for this. And you know what I find? That there, there's no time in life. 
that's not busy. It's just not going to happen. So instead of waiting for when it's not busy, let's leave our water pot. Let's get after it. And you say, well, I don't know the Bible that well. That's fine. Listen, introduce your friends to Jesus. Go to school tomorrow. Go to school next week and say, you know what? I'm going to, one, I'm going to live different. And number two, I'm going to proclaim truth. And that's easy, man. I think as I look around this church, we'll get fired up when we start telling our kids, man, go into school and take it by storm and lead them to Jesus. Amen. Let's go. Why aren't we doing that in our homes? Why aren't we doing that at our jobs? Why aren't we doing that at the grocery store? Because the same truth is there. The field is white. People are hopeless and helpless right now. People are looking for answers right now more than probably any time in my lifetime. People are looking for some kind of peace and hope. And we can find it in all kinds. I'm not trying to be controversial. I very much respect both sides of every argument right now because I have no idea what I even think when it comes to the stuff we're going through. So I don't mean this short, don't be offended in the fact that, but peace isn't going to come from a vaccine or no vaccine. Peace isn't going to come from mask or no mask. Peace isn't going to come from lockdowns or no lockdowns. Peace is going to come from Jesus. Hope isn't going to come from anything that the government tells us to do or not do. Hope is going to come from Jesus. And when our kids see us moping around, I don't know, you're so, I don't know. My Jesus is big enough to take care of it one way or the other. Now that doesn't mean trials aren't going to come. It doesn't mean hardship's not going to come. It doesn't mean we're not going to face stuff. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take precautions. I don't mean any of that like, oh, just live your life and Jesus will take care of it. Listen, I'm not going to go out here and drive 100 miles an hour down Park Avenue. Okay? And then say, well, Jesus can take care of it. Yeah, he can, but he also says, don't be a knucklehead. Okay, make good decisions, but at the end of the day, our kids need to see that we rest in Jesus. We do what we can do, but we rest in Christ. That's the kind of Jesus that people are going to say, I want to know more. Okay, now I don't believe because you told me, but I believe because I've experienced his peace. I've experienced his hope. I've experienced his joy. I've experienced his faithfulness and his reckless love. That's a whole other sermon. I didn't even plan none of that, all right? But I'm just telling you, I want my kids and my babies, I fail you. Y'all see me at my worst. And I fail you, but I don't want you to ever, ever, ever think this is because what I say I believe, I don't believe. I believe it. I just fail to do it sometimes. And I'm sorry that y'all see that. But I want you to experience Jesus for yourself. It's my, my job to point you there. Sometimes it's my job to push you there, to pull you there, to drag you there. But at the end of the day, I want you to love Jesus, not to make me happy, but because He can meet your needs better than I can. I read an old Facebook post from 100 years ago when Addie started school. 
And I, my prayer was, God, protect her when I can't. I read that this morning. I thought, Dusty, you are a dummy. I never can. Don't protect her when I can't. Protect her all the time because I never can, no matter how much I think I can. She's going to be exposed to things that I don't want her exposed to. But they're going to be there. All I can do is point her to Jesus. Same with Ian and Kennedy. People like to laugh and joke about PKs, preacher's kids. Man, I, I pray for our pastors, for our staff, because their kids see them at their best and their kids see them at their worst. And their worst may not be as bad as my worst, but there's a balance between I mess, still mess up and I want my kids to know that Jesus is not what I do to make a paycheck. It's what I live. That's what I want my kids to know. That's what I know y'all want Michaelina to know and, and, and Mo. Uh, all the pastors I know, they want their kids to know that even though they mess up, it's because they're human. It's not because what they say they believe isn't what they believe. And maybe you're not a pastor, but you're sitting there and you're thinking about all the ways you failed your kid. Have you pointed them to Jesus? Because we're not called to be, we're not going to be perfect. But are we vulnerable enough to say, I blew that, baby. I blew that. Anyway, I haven't landed the bird at all, okay, but that's okay. I love you, and I love my kiddos, and I love your kiddos, and I love our church, and I want our church to be a beacon of light and not just a meeting place on Sundays. That's what it is. I, I could have saved y'all 45 minutes of your life if I just started with that. <laughs> Should have started there. But if you maybe have a secondary relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't want you to miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. I don't want you to miss it. Nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I've gone to church, but today decided to make this relationship my own. It's no longer to make my wife happy. It's no longer for business contacts. It's no longer because it's morally right. But I want to follow Jesus. Praise God. You take care of that. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you that even in my faults, my shortcomings, my trippings, and my stumblings, Lord, that you can use your word change lives Lord I pray you'll give me strength to leave my water pot and to go about um, by the things of this world but to just be about your business God I pray that for every person I come in contact with that they will see that even though I'm imperfect that I'm striving to live it out, Lord, but I pray especially for my babies. God, because I don't want to ever give them the wrong picture of you and how completely you've saved me, even if I don't always live in your complete salvation. Lord, I pray you'll do a work here this morning that only you can get credit for. I pray that as we go about our week that we will make disciples and that we will continue to see people baptized and I pray then that we will teach them all that you have commanded us. 
and that we'll truly make a difference and that we'll experience that revival that we always talk about but never seem to get to. I pray that it will come, Lord. Let it come. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. Shine, but 
we 